So there really is a marriage between French alcohol, wine, perros and liqueurs to French cuisine. And they all know it. That's the thing that's so funny to me. They all know it. And when you don't know it, it's like, oh, wait, what? I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to do this now. Bonjour. This is Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about delicious French food and the people that love it, cook it, produce it, talk, write, and photograph it. Drinking in France is, to some, all about wine. Some, champagne. Others, cider. And don't forget there's also the spirits, let alone the drinks and cocktails from regions that we don't even know about. Well, I'm planning on doing this podcast for the rest of my life, so hopefully that'll be long enough for us to cover all of them. I have three favourite drinks to ask for when doing an apéro. A Monaco, which if I'd had too many drinks, turns out to be a Monte Carlo and the waiters are just terribly confused. And a Kia and a Kia Royale. Today, I'm joined by someone that's going to chat about the latter two. From Wine School Dropout, our guest podcast, to Girl Meets Glass, which she does wine education, Tanisha Townsend is a bit of a wine and alcohol expert. So even if you don't drink, hopefully Tanisha's story will educate and entertain you. Her story certainly inspired and entertained me, and that's why she is my special guest on Fabulously Delicious today. Tanisha, thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, we're excited to have you on. Tanisha, I wanted to get into, before we talk about Kia Royale and Kia, you grew up in Chicago, you told me, and Friday nights, you told me, was takeout night at home, and everybody in the house took turns ordering. So I want to know, what was your favorite thing to order? Uh, Probably Chinese food. Well, American Chinese food, that is. How is that different to an... Uh, Chinese food, American Chinese food. I don't think that's what they really eat in China. I think it is a very Americanized <laughs> version of Chinese food. So, I mean, shrimp fried rice, the egg rolls, shrimp egg foo young, um, the general sauce chicken, like that kind of stuff. Like, I don't think they really eat that. And was everybody else in the family happy with your choices? Oh, yeah, they were fine with that. Um, it was that. Um, we also... Uh, ate Popeye's because Popeye's is just delicious fried chicken. Um, sometimes it would be pizza. Uh, it would be Subway sandwiches. You know, of course, all of this is fast food because uh, it would just be about us ordering something quick. It's takeout night. Right. It's takeout. So, you know, it could be Subway sandwiches one night or this other sandwich place that did a good steak and cheese sub kind of thing. So we had a few options in the neighborhood. Are your family foodies? I would say no, not at all. And it's hilarious that I have gone in this direction because they are not at all. Um, it's me, my brother, and then my dad and mom. And then none of them are. Uh, you know, my dad is very simple in what he eats. My brother, the same. Um, and my mom as well. It, yeah, I just went a whole different direction with it. Isn't that funny? Because my family is sort of the same. I always joke about my family being my mother is half Italian and half Czechoslovakian, and she never got that Italian food uh, uh, bug. So I didn't get to grow up with like people cooking uh, passata and and uh, pasta and you know like stomping on grapes or stomping on tomatoes in the backyard. I no didn't hand get rolled pasta, no none of that. No, oh. no, I never did that. No, I know. Uh, maybe that's why I'm such a foodie now. Yeah, because my brother came here to visit and uh, I'm like, oh, I'm trying to take him. I'm like, okay, I'm going to show him these, you know, culinary delights in Paris. He was like, 
don't you just get a burger? Like, do they not just have burgers here? And like a, you know, and like an ice cream sundae? He's like, it's not like apple pie with ice cream. I was like, oh my gosh, don't say this out loud anymore. Oh, <laughs> oh goodness. So you grew up in Chicago. Um, I love Chicago, but I've only visited the once. So next time I go back there, what do you think is the one thing that a local knows that I should try? Uh, they talk a lot about, I mean, there are a lot of culinary delights there. They're very big on meat and um, they make a very good steak. So Chicago is known for some of their steakhouses. So that, and then we have deep dish pizza. So I tell everyone, if you want something different, get a Chicago deep dish pizza. You have to eat it with a knife and fork and the tomato sauce goes on top, not on the bottom. Right. Okay. Oh, like on top of the cheese. Yes. So the tomato sauce is what you see when the pizza comes out, you see the tomato sauce. So they, you know, kind of layer it. Separate. And it's thick. It's almost like a quiche kind of. It's like that thick. And then all the stuff in it, then the cheese, then the tomato sauce. A deep dish pizza. All right, um, that's on the list. Chicago also has a history uh, associated with architecture, especially uh, US architecture, the Frank Lloyd Wright, that amazing pier. I remember I went on the uh, Ferris wheel on the pier and it was uh, towards the end of November. Um, the ticket man at the giving me the ticket to go on it, he did say, are you sure you want to do this? And um, I've never been so cold in all of my life uh, from the wind. I was going to say. But also Sears Tower, uh, to know to name a few things. So do Chicago, do you call them Chicagoans? Yes. People that live in Chicago? Yep, Chicagoans. Mm-hmm. Chicagoans. Do they get into the architecture? Do you grow up with an appreciation of the city for its architecture? You learn about it in school and you take school field trips to some of those buildings. You know, Like you mentioned, the Sears Tower, then there's the Hancock Building, Water Tower Place. But I don't think you, most people don't really get an appreciation for it until maybe they go away to college and then come back or like see other places go somewhere else. And then they come back, they're like, oh, Chicago really is the best. Like this downtown skyline really is magnificent. Okay, I get it. So I think you have to leave and come back. And so then, of course, you did leave at some stage to go to France. So what did you think of Paris's architecture when you came here? When I first came to Paris, it was like I was walking through a museum all the time. It felt like I was just walking through, um, yeah, a museum. Like all the buildings were old and the old structures. I'm thinking some of these buildings are older than the whole United States of America. Um, So that was kind of fascinating to me. And I'm like, and they're still here. And just the magnificence of it all. I was definitely awestruck by that for sure. Your first trip to Paris was with friends, you told me. This was before you moved here. So you only spent two days. How can you do just two days in Paris? So we did it as a, there was like a special with um, Air France or maybe it was British Airways. I don't remember at the time, but they did a special where they were doing like layovers places. So we did London, Paris, Amsterdam, Brussels. So that's why we were only 10 days. I mean, 10 days. We were 10 days total. So we were like two days, two and a half days everywhere. So that's why I was so fast because we didn't know. We were just like, okay, let's just see as much as we can. Let's go, go, beat, beat. Uh, And so after that trip, I was like, oh, I got to come back here. This place is insane. have to come back. 
And so I came back several What times. did you see in two days? Um, I mean, you know, you can run through and see all the sites. We, you know, did the pyramid. Of course, you're not going inside the Louvre, but, you know, did the pyramid, did the Eiffel, Notre Dame, the Ark. Um, I don't think I knew about Gary Lafayette then, but it was just a run around kind of thing. And the way to do that easily in a day is get on that um, hop on, hop off bus, that double decker bus. You ride that two routes. You've seen everything. Yeah, that's right. If you'd known about Galleries Lafayette, I mean, that would have been your two days just gone. That shoe department, one whole floor of shoes. My word, it's insane. That and the um, the ceiling, that's it. That's two days gone. You're a successful wine educator and podcaster. How did you get into wine? (laughs) This is interesting. Uh, I always say I got into wine by drinking it, like just saying I needed to drink. Uh, so after university, I moved to DC and I was getting a graduate degree and I was like, this is hard. I should probably drink wine to calm my nerves or just to relax de-stress. So that's how the wine thing started. But in Maryland and Virginia, which border DC, there are a lot of wineries. And so they will have a lot of wine festivals. So it was a fun thing to just go to these wine festivals. You know, they're outside in a big park. They'll have live music, you know, carnival kind of food. You know, they're frying Twinkies and Oreos and you can eat fried hot dog, like all this shenanigan stuff. So that and then I was tasting wine while there, too. I happened to taste wine from this particular winemaker who I have no idea who they are to this day, but was fascinated by the flavor of it and couldn't understand how those flavors came out in this wine. I'm like, wine is made from grapes, but like it tastes like cherries and raspberries. And I just couldn't process that. And so the winemaker was kind of talking me through it. And I was like, so you like put these cherries in the wine? Okay, so you crush the cherries in with the grapes, you grow cherries next to the grapes, so then the flavors are all together. And that guy was like, girl, no, what? no, that's not how any of it works. It's just natural. It's the sun and the rainfall in the soil. And I was like, no, I'm not sure. So, of course, I went and asked my dear friend Google uh, how wine was made. <laughs> and oh, you're friends with Google as well. We are tight. Fabulous. Yeah. So from there, I took some wine certification classes and then, you know, things just kind of built up from there. And here we are living the dream. Fabulous. What a fabulous dream it is too. Which is better, American wines or French wine? Oh, hands down to me, French wine. They've just been doing it longer. I mean, if I don't, you know, and this is not a knock on America or anything like that. There are some wines in America that, you know, I absolutely adore. But I think just the versatility, the age, the history of the wine in France. Um, and then also since I live here, it's at a much better price point for me. So um, French wine, yes. So it's so available. You could just go somewhere here, five, six, seven euro for a glass of um, wine here. You go back to the States, 15, 20 for a glass. It's heartbreaking. You teach wine at university. And so excuse my ignorance, but how do you, what, who, what, who learns wine at university? Is this a French thing or, you know, what's that about? 
It's actually in um, uh, hospitality management and luxury marketing, luxury goods programs. Because I was actually, I'm saying actually a lot. I was teaching a wine course at a university back in Maryland, and it was in their hospitality management program. And it was just a wine one-on-one. So for people that want to go into restaurant, hotels, uh, cruise ships, things like that, it was just a kind of wine one-on-one overview course. Now, what I teach here is more of um, like economics of wine and wines outside of France, because I can't talk to a French person about French wine. Like they're not going to listen to me. So I'm talking to them about social media, online presence, marketing, distribution, imports, exports. Um, Wine tourism is something else that uh, I teach. I teach it as part of this class, and I also do a couple seminars on wine tourism and how that can be implemented, what that looks like. And especially now, it's important post-COVID, what tourism looks like and what wine tourism looks like and what kind of experiences people are expecting, wanting, and at what price points. And so are you a sommelier then, or is a wine educator different to a sommelier? I say wine educator because there are specific uh, sommelier like trainings and things like that. And also that is more catered toward restaurant service. And I haven't worked at a restaurant and don't do restaurant service. So if you ask me to come up with a menu and price points and if I should serve something clockwise or counterclockwise, I'm going to get that wrong every time. But um, when it comes to regions, grapes, soil, you know, blends, things like that. Oh, no, I'm good. I'm your girl. How much study and schooling have you done to be a wine expert educator? And, and is it like an ongoing education? Absolutely ongoing. There's always something changing. There are always some new rules and regulations. Um, right now, there's a big thing uh, with climate change and uh, the way grapes are able to grow. Uh, there was a, a few regions within France that had a hard season earlier this year. Um, they had hail and frost and things like that in April. And so that affected the vineyards. There are a couple places that I visited in Champagne. They were like, yeah, we, we think we lost about 80% of our harvest. And I'm like, 80 as in 8 to 0? Because, you know, sometimes with the accent, it sounds like 18. And they're like, no, 8 to 0. I was like, wow, that's that's a lot. So they're trying to change some rules in different regions to allow for different grapes, to allow for different blends and not, you know, having it so regulated with uh, how much they can use of each grape, what percentage they can use uh, and different things like that. Like Bordeaux just allowed some new grapes to um, be grown and harvested in their region because of climate change being such a, a big thing. Well, speaking of new grapes and new things, what's the best new thing, winery, grub, I don't know, um, wine bottle that's come out of France recently, in your opinion? Hmm. That's interesting because there are some things that I like and enjoy here, but I don't. it's not a French thing. Like the French aren't picking up on it. Uh, like there are some French wines that now come in a can. Oh, French people are, they have a problem with not having a natural cork. So they were already losing their minds for that. Now that people are talking a can. Because they don't do screw tops here. No, 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 no. Mm-mm. No, they hate it. They hate a screw top. So a can. 
a can, they're like low-key devastated. There are also some um, hard seltzers that are being made in France that, you know, could be nice. Those are fascinating to me. Wine in a box is getting a little better too, yeah. Yeah, well, wine in a box is fabulous here. I mean, it's just, you know, especially, um, you know, some of the rosé. I mean, just pop that in the fridge. It's all good. And you know, lasts. just have a box of rosé in your fridge. And it lasts for so much longer. You know, you get a bottle and, you know, it's you or two, three people. Like, you got to keep drinking it, keep drinking it, or sometimes it goes bad. But that box, man, that's fresh every time you go to, you know, hit the spout. It's yeah. Tanisha, though, you do need to watch out when you've got the box of rosé in the fridge next to the box of apple juice. Oh, you know, you've got to don't. make sure you've really woken up in the morning. Yeah. Otherwise, you're getting some, you know, you mix the two up, you're drinking rosé first thing in the morning. Or, it's not hey, good. I mean, or is that a problem? Do we do we think that's a problem? Is it a problem, though, apple juice or rosé in the morning? Eh. I think... <laughs> It's five o'clock somewhere. Yes. Well, it would make us very French. Champagne is my favourite. I love that line. Champagne for everybody. (laughs) If someone comes to France and wants to visit just one champagne house uh, while they're here, what's your recommendation for the the must-do? Oh, that's so hard. One? I ask the hard questions. Oh, crap. Um, Okay. If it's one, I would say Tatanjé. Um, the crayere or their their crayere or their chalk cellars, those are now UNESCO heritage sites. So when you go down all the way to the bottom and you know just see where they store it and hear about their process. And it's really good champagne from a large house. So yeah. I would tell them also to not just do the one house, to do two and do a smaller place as well. So whatever that smaller grower champagne house is, I would say go to a place that's smaller just so you can really get a feel for the process, walk around in the vineyard, maybe talk to the winemaker. Um, Yeah, I would say so go two places if you're out there for the day. Yeah, okay. And it's not this uh, big history with the Champagne Dames, so women um, who have run in Champagne houses. Absolutely. They actually have a group now called La Transmission, and it's nine women who run Champagne houses. Uh, some of them are larger houses, like the it's a woman who um, runs Krug. It's a woman who runs Tatanje. Um, and they're uh, really kind of spearheading this movement to, so they can be more known as far as women in um, the champagne industry and then in the wine industry as a whole. You're not just knowledgeable on wines, but alcohol in France in general. Um, What are some of the best spirits to come out of France? France is now really starting to um, make strides in whiskey. And uh, there are not that many, there weren't maybe five, six years ago that many French whiskeys. There were like maybe four or five. Now there are over 100 different distilleries in France making whiskey. And whiskey is something that I've enjoyed, of course, from Scotland and uh, Canada and, um, you know, Ireland before. But now France has a few and um, I, they are not bad at all. Not bad at all. Um, there is, I mean, you know, Cognac, Armagnac, Calvados. Those are the major French ones. Mm-hmm. Then Pinot de Charente, which is like in a style similar to Cognac, but uh, a little bit sweeter. Um. Then there's Benedict, Benedictine, Benedict. Yeah. Is it really made by monks? Probably. Because a lot of those alcohols used to be made by monks. That's like, which is, is still hilarious to me. 
but like monks were making chartreuse and um, those are the people who did that first. Have you been to that fabulous shop in the first? It's just around where all the Japanese restaurants are and it's just all products made by monks and nuns. What? This place exists? Yes. Yes. It's amazing. It's like really cool because they're actually really amazing products that have just been made for centuries. You know, you can get soaps, you can get um, their alcohol, you can get honey, um, face cream, because I've never seen a nun without amazing skin. Like nuns always have amazing skin. So you've got to get the face cream from this shop. I kid you I not. I even know this place existed. Oh, I got to Google this after. I talk to my yeah, friend. Yeah, we will all Google it, and I will Google it and then leave the name in the uh, show notes uh, for people that are listening. You're listening to Fabulously Delicious, the podcast that's all about French food and the wonderful and fabulous people that make it. If you are passionate about French food and would love to be a guest on the show, or do you know a fabulous French food producer, cook, chef, or knowledgeable foodie that you think I need as a guest, then please jump on Instagram and DM me at Andrew Pryor Fabulously. I love people sliding into my DMs, so let me know as I'm always up for meeting fellow French foodies and hopefully bring them to you. And of course, if Rihanna or, you know, Madonna or Kylie are listening and you want to slide into my DMs, that'd be fabulous too. Chris Helmsworth, hmm, if you're listening, well, let's not uh, get into that. Yes, uh, my husband would not approve. Um, My name's Andrew Pryor and my motto in life is, whatever you do, you should do it fabulously. Thanks for listening and let's keep on drinking while we chat to Tanisha and learn all about the Kia and Kia Royale. So today's topic, it's all about Kia and Kia Royale. So first up, what is a Kia and how is it spelled? K-I-R. K-I-R. Am I, and am I saying it right? Mm-hmm, Kia. Mm-hmm. So what's a Kia? So Kia is a type of liqueur. It comes in different flavors and then you mix it uh, for a cocktail to, uh, you can mix it with sparkling wine or you can mix it with steel white wine. Um, to have this amazing aperitif. Kia is cassis, is that right? Cassis mixed with white wine, yes. Now, of course, they've changed that a little bit too. And sometimes, you know, you can get other flavors because they have other types of uh, liqueur. So sometimes you can get peach. Um, I've had, was it strawberry or cherry? I've had another flavor before. All right, because I've got a test for you. I've got a quick little test, shall we say, a little bit of fun. Okay. I'm going to name the Kia and you can tell me what's in it. Oh, okay. I know this is going to be fun. I'm looking forward to this. Okay, so a Kia Royale. Mm -hmm. Kia Royale is cassis cassis and sparkling wine. So the Royale, you know, because they considered champagne sparkling. Oh, my gosh, my French pronunciation on this is just going to be terrible. I can feel it already. A Kia Berichon. I don't know if that's right. B-E-R-R-I-C-H-O-N. Kia Berichon. Okay, so that's like what, strawberry or raspberry? Red wine and blackberry liqueur. Red wine and blackberry liqueur. Okay. A creme de mer. Who ever knew there was a blackberry liqueur? They will make liqueurs out of anything. They. <laughs> <laughs> a Kia Bianco. Kia Bianco. Can I phone a friend? 
<laughs> I'll be a friend. It's sweet white vermouth, apparently. Ah, oh, because then vermouth Bianco. Oh, Bianco. Yeah, yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Okay, yes. that makes sense. Okay, Some this one should be an easy one. Akir Breton. Okay, so something from Britain, um, from the Britain region. We what do they think have apples. Up there? Cider or apple juice? We Akir Imperial. Um, this is a hard one. Akir um, Imperial. So there's a liquor, uh, Chambord Imperial. Which is made yes. of raspberries. Oh, is that what you are do? Good. Oh, yes. Woo-hoo. Okay. Kia Normand. That's easy because we just had the Kia Breton. Right. I was going to say, is this the same as a Kia Breton where it is? Yeah. So it's like instead that. of Bre- Breton cider, it's Normandy cider, which kind of isn't that the same thing? Oh, no, no. Well, not really. People in Normandy say, don't, would don't say Don't let not. them hear you say that. <laughs> don't let them hear you say that. If you were listening, anybody that lives in Normandy or Breton, you should just be getting a little bit of noise over this. <laughs> uh, Kier pamplemousse. Okay, pamplemousse is grapefruit, so it's got to be some kind of grapefruit liqueur or grapefruit juice. I know. Again, who wine. knew that there was grapefruit liqueur? Like you said, they'll make a liqueur out of everything. Um, a Kier petillant, P-E-T-I-L-L-O-N-T. Okay, pétillante. So this is probably just because pétillante is what we say for a sparkling wine that's not champagne. So it's probably just the regular um, cassis and they've done sparkling wine. Well, actually not. Apparently they swap it with peach liqueur for that one. So maybe they because they only use the sparkling wine, maybe it's peach liqueur. I don't know. But Kia Royale, uh, we cu- covered that before with champagne. But then we have things that are Kia's but are sort of not. A pink Russian. I don't know. I know a white Russian with a Kahlua, no, Bailey's. And then a black Russian is with is a um, cocktail with Kahlua. I don't know. So a pink, pink Russian. Russian is apparently um, creme de cassis with milk. That made my stomach hurt. Is I know. Mean? I yeah, it would make your stomach hurt, wouldn't it? And finally, um, a communard. A communard. Hmm. You're really stumping me. Think today. about this one's a good one. If you think about it, it comes. It will come to you. A communism, a community, a commune. It's a red wine. Oh, instead of white. Oh. Yes. So, unfortunately, you haven't won $100,000, but you oh, do sure. get to continue as a guest. Okay. I'm like, okay. Fabulous. Whew. Okay. <laughs> no, I think we did well there on that yeah, one. That with a slight help nice, from though. our friend. <laughs> what was that? That 100000 would have been nice, though. I know, but instead we can just have a Kia. So, in the 40s, Felix Kia, the mayor of Dijon, is a Apparently, the inventor of the Kia, how did that come about? It was part of his resistance to the Nazi invasion at that time. Okay. So um, the he was just trying to make a cocktail and figure out some, you know, some things to do in his spare time. And so the Nazis actually confiscated all of the red wine. So Kier invented his cocktail using the white wine that he could get a hold of. And because it's made with creme de cassis, mm-hmm. do you have a recipe for us to make a cure at home if we want to make a cure at home? 
yeah, the way is it, easy? it is, it's very easy. Um, what I do is I'll take just um, a white wine glass and I'll pour in, say, like one centiliter or one part of the creme de cassis. And then I will fill up the rest of the glass with white wine. So easy breezy. If you're doing like one part, always say one part, because uh, that way, if you want to make this is like a punch to serve for a lot of people, or if you're just making one for yourself, it's just one part of whatever, one ounce, one tablespoon, one cup, however you want to measure it. And then at least five parts of the other, at least. Okay, so I'll make one tonight. So that'll be one bottle of creme de cassis and five bottles of sparkling white wine or champagne. So do you think that's going to be enough for me for one night? Um, It may run over into the next night, but I think it should hold you. I think it should hold you. Tanisha, I'm joking, but I am Australian, so I'm not. It's not too far from it. When do people? Um, oh no! Before I ask you that, I was going to say, do you recommend any types of white wine? Because there was a traditional Burgundy wine, but if we can't get that uh, white wine, what do you recommend for a cure? So if you can't get like a traditional Burgundy, um, white Burgundy is Chardonnay. So I would say get um, a lighter style Chardonnay. And by lighter style, I mean one that is not oaked. So definitely get an unoaked stainless steel fermented Chardonnay. Because once you add in the oak, that flavor will be a bit overpowering and you don't really want that. And it's interesting because some of the Chardonnays here in France, when they're not oaked, can be can tend to be a bit sweeter. They can, and that's yeah, and that's why that goes nicely with the um, with the cure. But why would it be sweeter? Is it is it just the variety of the grape or the house of the grape? Or are they adding something to it? What's happening there? A lot of times, oak will like smooth out some of those flavors and take, and I don't want to say take away, but it'll smooth out some of those um, like rich ripe fruit flavors. So if you don't have something oaked, you have these really fresh ripe grape flavors. And so that's why it might taste sweeter because fruit, you know, when it's really ripe, fruit is sweet. With the Kia Royale, it's usually champagne. But for some of us that aren't lucky enough to be like us that live in France and have access to a wide variety of champagne, for people, a lot of people overseas, champagne can be quite expensive. Uh, so can we just use a sparkl- a local sparkling wine instead of a champagne? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, uh, And I would say a Prosecco in that in place of uh, champagne, because Prosecco tends to be a little bit uh, sweeter. Um, And make sure it isn't something that's like dry or extra dry, because you don't want dry mixed with the the sweet uh, cassis. You want it to be on the same level. And I've heard recently in the news about champagne, just for a second to get off the Kia topic for a minute, that apparently the champagne or the sparkling wine in England is doing really, really well and winning awards over champagne. What's that about? They are because they actually have um, the perfect climate for it uh, because it gets warm and then it also, uh, they have definite seasons it gets cold in the winter and then the, um, you know, the vines go dormant, but then in the spring it gets warmer and it, you know, kind of eases up. So they have really good conditions in order to grow grapes, to make them into a sparkling wine. 
And um, because it's also uh, where they're doing sparkling wine, it's not the part where it's like super rainy, but it gets like just enough rain and uh, they have the soil for it. So, yeah, it's I've had a few styles of UK sparkling wine and I've been very impressed every time. When do you drink a Kia or a Kia Royale? This is at Apero or because it's an aperitif. So you drink it before dinner. This isn't um, a dessert drink because it doesn't really work with the digestion. You want to have it before because it gets you ready for the meal. It makes you salivate. It gets you like, yes, it's about time to eat. I'm ready. So, yeah, you serve it before dinner. And that's interesting, isn't it? Because there's this real thing about uh, with the French about alcohol and wines and peros and things like that, especially in regards to what you're eating. We went and had raclette at friends of ours' house the other day, and they served a particular wine with the raclette, and then afterwards they served a particular liqueur because they said that you know this helps with the digestion of what you've just eaten. So there really is a a science, so to speak, about the way the marriage between French alcohol, wine, um, aperos and liqueurs to French cuisine. And they all know it. That's the thing that's so funny to me. They all know it. And when you don't know it, it's like, oh, wait, what? I'm sorry. I'm not supposed to do this now. Oh, it's not time for this. Oh, wait, I, I didn't know this rule. I'm sorry. Let me figure this part out. But yeah, they all know the rules. And um, you you just have to kind of be nice and cool with a couple of them and say, okay, listen, what is the rule for this? Or can you show me how this works or how to do this? Um, Because it it is definitely something very specific um, when it comes to what time they eat, when they serve certain things, how it is to be served. No, no, you don't chill that. It's room temperature. No, no, one ice cube. It's like, oh, okay. (laughs) Sorry. But it makes for a better experience. It absolutely does. I have an appreciation for it, sure. Like, I know I'm laughing and kind of joking about it, but I definitely have an appreciation for it. And it has turned me into a much better, um, a better eater, I'll say, and um, a a better uh, hostess. When I do host something, I make an extra effort because it's not even these big grand gestures or things that you have to do in order to make things really nice here. It's, you know, having placemats on the tables and having linen napkins and, you know, having a place setting out, little touches like that. I'm going to test how French you really are now by asking you. So uh, in, I remember a story in the first confinement or after the first confinement, there was a story about how around the world during their first consignment, sales of French wine went through the roof, except for in France sales went up after confinement in France because everybody was drunk their carve during France, so carve being the, the wine cellar. So did you drink your wine cellar during the first confinement? Quite a bit of it, yes, for sure. <laughs> Quite a bit, yeah. You that, are very I, French then. I know that to be true, yes. <laughs> because what else are you going to do? You have these Zoom happy hours and these Zoom calls with your friends in the evenings because, you know, we couldn't go out after 6 o'clock. So, you know, you have to do something. So it's like, all right, happy hour at 630 and, you know, having a pair of teeth while you talk to five people on Zoom. And yeah, it was a thing. 
Tell our listeners uh, about your podcast, uh, Wine School Dropout. Um, Dropout. I hope to come on one day, actually, maybe, and maybe Absolutely. talk about uh, uh, cockle vans and the different cockle vans, I think, maybe. But tell us about Wine School Dropout. Yes, Wine School Dropout is a podcast that I work on with Ochenta Studios, and it is just something to help people be comfortable with wine. It is not to be extra fancy, and we're not talking necessarily about fine wine, but it's for all the people that want to be better educated and have a bit more knowledge on what it is they're drinking. What is a Chardonnay versus a Savion Blanc, or what wines come out of Southern Italy, or who are the people in the wine industry that we should be listening to? So those are some of the topics we've covered. And how do people find the podcast, and also how do people find yourself? People find the podcast. We are everywhere. Um, Apple, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you get your favorite podcast, you can find Wine School Dropout. And you can find me, Girl Meets Glass, all over social media. My website is girlmeetsglass.com. Um, or you can email me, Tanisha at girlmeetsglass.com. Yeah, I'm easy. Google Tanisha Townsend. You'll find me. Great. I will put uh, all of that in the show notes as well. Tanisha, a new thing I'm asking all my future guests is what is the most fabulous thing about France for you? Ooh, the most fabulous thing. This is tough. Um, I think the most fabulous thing to me would be how grand everything looks, like even just regular things. Like the movie theaters here are like movie theaters that you've seen like in the movies or like old school ones with the plush velvet chairs and then the velvet drapes and then the, you know, the seating, the way that is. It is just so many things, regular everyday things are like extra fabulous. You go to the doctor's office, it's a marble staircase, it's marble floors, it's a elaborate chandelier hanging in, you know, the foyer. It, it just every just everything is like super glammed up that you usually think of as just regular. So yeah. Have you been to the the council offices where the mayor and that are during the open day when they open at the what is the European Heritage Open yeah, Day? The Patri- Journey de Patrimoine. Whoa. There is no council office in Australia that looks like the council offices here with their big chandeliers and ornate buildings and Oh, you just go in the Marie in the neighborhood. When I went to get um, my vaccine in the uh, Mar- the Marie, I was just in there like, what is what is the place? <laughs> I'm like, I feel like I'm underdressed. Like I should have worn a ball gown. <laughs> like am I just in regular pants in the top? I didn't know I needed to be extra. But here we are. <laughs> It marvels me because it's like, you know, this is why I, I ask people these questions is that, you know, imagine growing up like that. Imagine that that's your whole life is is growing up like that. We get to experience it for a first time if we're lucky on a holiday. And then for some of the lucky few, we get to come and live here. But uh, And we appreciate it. Um, and I do wonder, do the French, the Parisians especially, do they appreciate it? Or are they like yourself when we talked about Chicago architecture? Do they have to leave Paris and then come back to it or leave France and then come back to it to appreciate it? I wonder. 
probably leave it to come back to it because there are some times I'll admit this myself. There are some times now where I'm not as excited about things that used to excite me. Um, but I'll see a tourist, you know, who is here. I'll see them on Instagram and in their Insta story. And, you know, they're so excited because they went and bought this croissant at the boulangerie or they got this baguette. And then I, not that I don't appreciate it. It's just nice and refreshing to see it through those new eyes again, because I won't ever see it like that again, because I live here. I can't get that excited about a croissant. Like that's, I get a croissant every couple of days. I can't be that excited about it. But um, <laughs> yes, I think on some level, you probably do have to leave and come back or see it the way someone else sees it. Tanisha Townsend, you have excited us today because this has been a wonderful chat and we've learned about the Kia, we've learned about French wines, and we've learned about yourself, which is the most important thing. So thank you so much for joining me on Fabulously Delicious today. Thank you. It was a pleasure. So we got to talk to Tanisha about French wine, spirits, champagne, as well as Kia. How fabulous was that? Tanisha, you're a fab guest, and I hope we get together in Paris sometime soon. Don't forget, if you like this episode, then please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. Share the podcast around with your family and friends, because, well, we love to be shared around. And if you'd like to support the making of Fabulously Delicious, then you can do so by buying me a croissant via the Buy Me A Coffee website. Or you can become a Patreon member and support on a monthly basis. Any help is appreciated so that I can bring more fabulous people to Fabulously Delicious. And you, of course. Now, if you're planning a trip to France in the not-too-distant future, now that borders are all opening up again, then you can book in a one-hour Zoom call with me and I can help you plan that fabulous trip. You can do that via the Buy Me A Coffee link in the show notes of this episode or by checking out my website, www.andrewpriorfabulously.com. In 2022, you will hopefully be able to come and join me in person for some fabulous cooking classes. So stay tuned for more information on that soon. I'm Andrew Pryor. My motto in life is, whatever you do, do it fabulously. So why not join me every week here on Fabulously Delicious, the podcast. Abiento and bon app. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional book, book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy, happy reading! reading.